This week's episode is brought to you by Mice Chat's Gumball Rally, the race to ride every ride at Disneyland. Now, that's taking place all day on Saturday, May 3rd. For more information, please visit micechat.com rally. You can sign up as teams of two, three, four, even an individual team. I don't know why you want to do that by yourself all day, but it'll be a great time. But we'll be there too, so come on out, have a good time, and be exhausted. Welcome to season three. Hello and welcome to the Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And you know, we've been getting a lot of comments and tweets and emails saying, hey guys, when are you guys going to talk about the 1964-65 the New York World's Fair again? Because we like those segments. They and do? we're doing it right now you haven't been sharing those with me no they mostly come to me huh i don't know i mean i i gave you the email for the, i mean the the password for the email but then you know that that virus thing's been going on all over the place that's been okay. eating passwords so i just changed our password so you can't get into it oh it's okay i mean you know if that million dollar contract comes in i guess you'll tell me eventually that's adorable that you think i'm gonna involve you in that <laughs> it's so so cute. Anyway, so we, maybe we should uh, we should jump back into this, the the World's Fair stuff. It's the 50th anniversary of the 64 World's Fair and the 49th anniversary of the 1965 part. <laughs> now, out of all the pavilions that Disney worked on on the New York World's Fair of 1964-1965, the one that bears the greatest hallmark of Walt's personal touch is General Electric's Progress Land. Now, of course, the star of the show was the Carousel Theater of Progress, and that was a depiction of suburban life throughout the 20th century and how appliances and the electric age influenced how, you know, typical American families lived and worked and played in a quickly changing time. But uh, back in episode 109, we talked about what the 1964-65 World's Fair stood for, and it just so happens that Progress Land was really the one pavilion that reflected that true nature of the fair. It was, you know, it was part trade show, part international summit, and it showed off a lot of space-age optimism, and all within this incredibly striking building that I wish they still had today. <laughs> yes. Progress Land itself was really driven by General Electric's desire to exhibit their product and industrial roles in a commercial and public light, you know, giant commercial. As most corporate entities at the fair did, they signed on specific design firms to create their thematic exhibits and, well, it just so happened that they signed Walt Disney's Wed Enterprises to design their show, and the result of which is one of the most beloved and longest running theme park attractions of all time. Now, before the fair was even on his mind, Walt had this idea to expand Main Street at Disneyland with two districts. Um, one was called International Street, and the other one was called Edison Square. And of importance to this com conversation is e Edison Square, which was a Thomas Edison-inspired uh, side street. And on this street, there would have been a show hosted by the electromechanical man named Wilbur K. Watt. And it would have chronicled the evolution of electricity in the home from the late 19th century to the present and then beyond. And it would have showed uh, much how, how electronic appliances, specifically General Electric appliances, have <laughs> benefited uh, American life. 
Now, each time period, after each time period in the show was over, the audience would have to get up and walk to the next time period and to continue on with the show. But uh, as with the case of a lot of attractions around that time, the technology just wasn't up to par yet with what Walt wanted, so the idea kind of fell to the wayside. But the idea never really left Walt, Walt Disney or General Electric's mind. So when General Electric approached Walt to help design their Progress Land shows and attractions, Walt immediately thought of his Electrical Progress show idea. Again, General Electric executives loved it and pledged to fund the project and the new technology needed to bring the show to life. Because isn't that what GE does? They bring things they bring to life. Things to life. That's anyway, not their motto, is it? No, it's close anyway. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> well, by this time, uh, Imagineers practically perfected the auto animatronic technology. They had developed a fair amount of it for Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, and also improved it quite a bit for Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, another show that Disney made for the fair. Uh, also expanding upon Walt's idea of the audience getting up and walking to the next scene, Imagineers devised a carousel theater, which allowed the audience to remain seated the entire time and just rotate to the next act. Uh, eliminating the time needed to change seats between each segment. Can you imagine people today going to the Carousel of Progress and like getting up in between each scene? I get, they I guarantee watch you no the first one. one and then leave. Yeah, I was say no one would go on to the next one except for like us and like Keith. That's it. <laughs> that's that's a battle. Anyway, the so, Carousel of Gluckris. <laughs> we don't need no. another Keith Gluck okay. theme song on yeah, the show. Point. Good point. <laughs> so uh, Rex Allen, the famous singing cowboy, he was brought on board to voice the father of the show, uh, the host and the narrator, and he replaced the original Wilbur K. Watt character. And Allen, later on, he commented that he did not know exactly what he was getting himself into, but he loved that he had such a pivotal role in what was to become this uh, iconic attraction. And of course, the Sherman brothers were asked to pen a song that would serve as a bridge between each act of the show, allowing one scene to transition flawlessly into the next one. So. Uh, Walt kind of explained to the, the brothers what the show was about, and they wrote a song with his, his enthusiasm in mind, the enthusiasm that he showed when he was telling them. And the song, of course, was titled, There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. And the Sherman brothers later stated that they believed the song was actually Walt's theme song in a way because he was so optimistic and excited about the future and about technology itself. So yeah, when the show opened, it was one of the most visited pavilions at the entire fair. One of the unique features that made the attraction so popular was that a circle of six theaters, all you know, connected by divider walls, revolved clockwise around six fixed stages every four minutes. Uh, there were identical load and unload theaters with a dazzling wall of light that was known as the kaleidophonic screen which would light up and flash and glow in sequence to the narrator's voice and the iconic music of the pavilion. Sort of like a glow with the show. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Well, more than 200 people entered and exited the attraction every four minutes, and it was not uncommon to wait over an hour in line. It was so popular that for the fair second season in 1965, a massive covered queue was constructed next to the General Electric Pavilion on an empty lot to protect visitors from the New York's hot summer sun. Now, while the Carousel of Progress was obviously the centerpiece of the attraction, it was only part of the Progressland Pavilion itself. Disney had designed a whole series of other little attractions for the pavilion, and that continued the message of industry and optimism, while also continuing to represent uh, General Electric's full breadth of services and appliances. So, after the Carousel of Progress show was over, guests were invited on stage, quote-unquote, 
uh, and up to the second level of the pavilion to continue on their journey of progress. And they journeyed up this thing called the speed ramp, which was covered in mirrors and, and brushed metallic trappings. And the entire corridor was a spectacle of light, kind of similar to the kaleidophonic screen from the beginning of the show. Um, and there were images of general electric engineers and scientists that were projected onto the walls, and the mirrors gave it an effect that you were kind of like floating in space, and so were the images. And uh, Disney actually dubbed this area a time tunnel, and it was one that transported you from the present to the far-flung future, uh, but the foreseeable future. So, once guests actually exited the tunnel, they were deposited into the second part of the Progress Land show, the Sky Dome Spectacular and Fusion Demonstration. And guys, please call us next time you want to name something and, and we'll help you out. Um, guests would enter the Sky Dome, which was at the time the world's largest projection screen on the interior of General Electric's iconic Dome Pavilion. With terraced viewing, guests were shown the history and adventure surrounding man's struggle to tame nature and making fire serve civilization on a 200-foot screen in the round. Dramatic lighting and projections highlighted both topic and theme. And once the show ended, guests descended from the top level of the pavilion to see the actual technologies described to them in use. Now, after that was what was considered the climax of the Progress Line experience, the fusion demonstration. I know, that name alone to me just is awesome. <laughs> So, standing on a pilth with a large quartz uh, tube with control panels and displays detailing the process of fusion uh, would be uh, attempted was where this demonstration took place. And after a countdown, uh, brilliant flashes of light and a loud popping crack would signify that GE was successful in tapping into nuclear science of sun building. And it was billed as the first public demonstration of fusion, and it took place every four to six minutes. That's a lot of fusion every four to six minutes. It could be confusing. Yeah. Well, I, I see what you did there. Yeah, I, know. I see what you did there. <sighs> Tip it, your it waitress, everyone. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, finally, guests would make their way into Medallion City, back on the the first level of Progress Land. The city was named for the Total Electric Award medal that GE popularized for its products. This was the main exhibition hall for General Electric and was a stylized city with buildings dedicated to each of the company's initiatives and appliances. Now, uh, among the topics showcased were beauty and comfort products, business and industrial solutions, and even a town hall and hospital featuring the latest in electrical ingenuity. The, the room was fully air-conditioned and attracted many guests for that reason alone. Medallion City was very much the showroom for GE products and even allowed guests to place mail orders for the products they had seen in the Carousel Theater and now in person and in, in use. The idea of allowing guests to browse a city of the future certainly wasn't new to the World's Fair as General Electric did it during the 1939-40 World's Fair and many other pavilions did it during this one. Now, you know, it's pretty obvious that the entire pavilion really was nothing more than a commercial advertisement for a corporate entity, but it still really left a lasting impression on everyone who saw it. And it definitely inspired optimism and looking towards the future and everyone who, who went to go see it, and it, it really was a, a masterpiece of, of Disney's showmanship. They really did an excellent job. Um, and of course, after the fair ended, uh, the Carousel of Progress show was moved to Disneyland for some time, and now it continues to rotate at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, while the actual location of Progress Land in uh, New York, the Flushing Meadow Corona Park, um, a bathroom sits very close nearby mm. now, and uh, nothing really remains of the pavilion, which is upsetting, 
because it yeah. was pretty gorgeous. But um, but it's not even a bathroom of the future. No, you know, I, the bathroom is like maybe twenty yards uh, in front oh. of where Progress Land used to be. So when I visited, I just pretended I was going to the bathroom in Progress Land. Just did you uh, did you take a moment? Did you, did you sit for about four minutes? And then got up and sat for another. This four turned minutes. into a bathroom break segment, and I don't think I'm comfortable with it any longer. <laughs> I well, think. let's 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 talk about a book then. Let's let's do that then. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's book of the week. Okay, this week's book is Joyland by Stephen King. What? Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's a Stephen King book. What? Okay, well, I promise there's a reason I'm reviewing the Stephen King book in my book of the week on a Disney-centered podcast. And we can still call it a podcast. Are we allowed to? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with yes, because we haven't got a letter otherwise yet. We haven't got a cease and desist letter yet. Yes. Anyway, but, you know, if you can just hold off your questions till the end of the podcast, I do promise there is a Disney connection. Okay, now, uh, a little bit. Joyland, and it's J-O-Y-L-A-N-D, like Disneyland, but with joy. It's actually the first Stephen King novel that I've read all the way through because he usually scares the pants off me. Allow me for and the second time in this segment to say, what? <laughs> I love his short stories, but some of his long form stuff just got a little too spooky for me. Um, but when, you know, I, I found out that Joyland took place in a small North Carolina amusement park in 1973, I thought, oh, this has got some interest. So, um, you know, that's sort of a connection. It's an amusement park, 1973, in North Carolina, where I live. Okay, so Joyland itself, the, the amusement park, is presented as a, a small amusement park that's been around for a long time. And sadly, larger parks like Walt Disney World and Carowinds are pulling away customers. Uh, we meet the main character, Devlin Jones, who finds a summer job and makes his way from his college in New England to a small town near Wilmington, North Carolina, to work at Joyland over the summer there. My, uh, of course, initial interest was fueled by the fact it was an amusement park. It's in North Carolina. But I found I, I was completely drawn into the characters and wondering, you know, I know Stephen King is an author. How is he going to bring his trademark brand of horror into the book? And the cover is great because you can always judge a book by its cover. You know, you just can't. I'm a librarian. Trust me. Uh, you think it's going to be like a crime noir type of novel? It's published by Hard Case Crime. It was put out in 2013. And, and it really made it feel reminiscent of like a pulp crime novel of the early to mid-20th century. Uh, I was really a bit surprised when I finished it because it's, it's more like a coming-of-age tale wrapped up with a little bit of mystery, intrigue, and suspense. And there were a few moments that were a little scary, but, you know, Nothing that made me stay up late at night. He's okay. lying. He called me a couple times. <laughs> Text Jeff, I'm afraid. Granted, your late at night is also like my my nine o'clock now, so it wasn't yeah, that no, late for me. But Let's, I'll punish you and you know text you when I wake up early in the morning, and you're like just getting. Well, anyway, okay, <laughs> back on track here. I, I really enjoyed reading Joyland uh, a lot because of the amusement park theme behind it and the carnalingo. Uh, that was used in the book, but you know the the park itself still felt more like a carnival from the 50s. But but you can see how it was making a transition from carnival to amusement park after the success of Walt Disney World. And anybody that's listened to us, you know that we like to nitpick when we run into things about the theme parks. What uh, there was, for the third time? Yeah, I know. Uh, there were some moments where there was mention of corridors underneath the park that the characters could use. I mean, like the the employees. 
similar to Walt Disney World. It was really, really difficult for me to believe that a small-time amusement park based in North Carolina would have spent the time, money, and effort to build corridors underneath their park when it was such a huge and expensive part of Walt Disney World. And uh, he does, Stephen King does refer to the park as Disney World. He doesn't use the Walt appellation, which really drives me crazy. Um, and, and, and some of the few characters actually mention Walt Disney World as inspiration for some of the changes at Joyland. And that one of the characters worked at Walt Disney World, which confuses me because it opened up in 71. Disney World did. And Joyland, this takes place in 73. So I, I, that's okay. Must not have enjoyed their job much that much. That's what I was thinking. So, you know, I really liked it. I would recommend it highly. I think anybody who loves Disney parks or theme parks is going to enjoy it. It's not that scary. Um, it's got a little bit of supernatural feel to it, but it's really a great story about characters. And Stephen King is a truly amazing American writer, and he does a fantastic job with characters. So, you know, if you get a chance to, you know, you're looking for something good to read that's sort of theme park related, but not normal you know check out joyland by stephen king and jeff i know you're a huge stephen king fan i know i've I read mean, pretty much every single stephen king novel and short story there is except for like maybe two or three i'm working through now i'm actually i just started reading black house right now which i have never read before for some reason but uh this is clearly outside of his normal realm of writing oh but, sure uh, i joyland is but i like it a lot um it's a nice like hard crime uh, novel in a way, and uh, I definitely recommend it. I think it totally fits for a Disney podcast. Okay, why not? And you know, it might turn some people on to some other things. So, uh, once again, this book was Joyland by Stephen King. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze. Sixty-second review. Okay, so for this week's review, we both got review copies of Disney's The Pirate Fairy, which we didn't ask for, but that's okay. Actually, I did ask for it. Oh, you did? That's why we got it. So you didn't I don't know if, if uh, maybe just because I did, that's why you got it, but I got did it ask too, for it. So, well, that's okay. You know, it's uh, we, we haven't reviewed, I haven't watched any of the Tinkerbell movies before, but I you have. know, this is... I'm gonna keep going off. Uh, George going. is learning a lot about me in this segment, guys. <laughs> well, anyway, it you know it was it was a pretty big release for Disney. They have some major stars in it, and honestly, I watched it and I didn't hate it. I kind of liked See, it. See, I told you, I don't yeah. I don't hate the Tinkerbell movies for the most part. Most most of them are pretty pretty okay, but this one I think was my favorite. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. Tom Hiddleston is the voice of, yep. of a young cabin boy named James, who, if you know your Peter Pan history, you know who, ah. who James is. Yep. Um, but I and, didn't hate it either. I liked it a lot. No, I thought I thought it had some really good humor, some really good animation. It was done well enough that any adults, they'd have to watch it with their young uh, fairy fans, I guess is a good term to use. Sure. They're going to be able to sit through it and enjoy it and not go crazy like some of those sequels that were direct videos in the late 90s early 2000s. Yeah, cuz those are terrible. This those is actually terrible. pretty good. Yeah. I think this is I think this is a good purchase if you've got uh, little ones in the house that are really big fans of Tinkerbell or uh, if you're like me and you just enjoy some of those movies cuz they're not yeah. bad. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was uh, the animation was great, the voice acting was superb and I'll be honest with you guys that this message is for the dads out there. The Christina Hendricks voiced fairy Zarina yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Was really kind of hot, and I'm confused, but 
she was different from all the other fairies that were kind of. George has it, these all these feelings now that we're. This is not the podcast yeah. to discuss them on. Oh, we're, so I shouldn't have said that. Okay. No, no, we'll it's fine. On, I just, we'll just have to bring you over to somewhere else. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make you talk to like Doctor Drew or Adam Carolla or something. Ah, oh, we'll do that one. So, but you know, I, I think this is it. It was fun. I enjoyed it, and you know, if you've got little fans in the house, it's it's a definite purchase. I I agree. Get it? Because I thought it was pretty good, and that's that's pretty much all there is to it. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Now, as we've discussed many, many times before in other episodes, Trader Sam's at the Disneyland Hotel is just jam-packed with five-legged goats. And one that I just recently discovered references not only Mary Poppins, but also a five-legged goat at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Now, there are many postcards attached to the wall that people send to Sam uh, all over the place, and one of the postcards that's sent to Sam says, Trader Sam, heard you came across my peg leg. I'll pick it up next time we make port. Smith. Now, of course, this references the scene in Mary Poppins where Bert, Uncle Albert, and the kids are floating on the ceiling laughing and they're exchanging jokes, and Bert says, I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith. And Uncle Albert says, what's the name of his other leg? I um, love it. I love that joke. It's such a funny... Fu- that entire scene is great. Um, yes. But also, we talked about in, in the Magic Kingdom, uh, in the Frontierland train station, there is a wooden leg with the name Smith on it uh, hidden in the rafters. Um... So it's kind of a, a cross-reference go to, you know, another five-legged goat and to the movie Mary Poppins. And I know, George, you said you weren't sure if that was actually there anymore. Well, you could yeah, I was going to put a, put a call out to the readers. It's been a while since I visited the Frontierland trading station. So if anybody can go by and confirm, it's up on the second floor, of course, that the wooden leg named Smith is still there. Yeah. We'd do, love to know. I would love to know. I'm sure Smith yeah. would love to know, too. Yeah, take a photo and, 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 you know. Hit us on Twitter or Facebook or just email it to us at communicorweeklygmail.com. Please do. We'll be happy to. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of us ramble on and on about our personal issues and problems. (laughs) Be be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes and and let George know how he can explore those feelings with a psychiatrist. (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay, so email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And of course, be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerning. He's at Jeff Heimbuck, and that's a great way to send those wooden leg named Smith photos. Yes, it is. Of course, you can always call us on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. Yep, and another reminder that you can still get Communicore Weekly, the musical. We should probably call it the greatest musical ever. Of course, it's uh, not going anywhere. Of course it is. Yeah. It's going to be there forever. It is available at Amazon, uh, CD Baby, iTunes, and you can find it on CommunicoreWeekly.com. Heck yes. You know it. Well, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Peace.